0: This morning we uh, are continuing a sermon series that we've been in this summer on the Psalms of Ascent. uh, Those songs uh, that made up Israel's prayer book as they made their pilgrimage to worship God in Jerusalem. And this morning we get a treat. Uh, Jeff Skinner, my good friend, is going to uh, preach God's word to us. Jeff, why don't you come on up here? Uh, some of you have gotten to know uh, the Skinners, uh, lovely, lovely family that they are. Jeff, uh, in the spring, began leading our youth ministry, uh, our youth Bible study after the services here on Sundays. We'll continue to do that. He also works with a ministry, a wonderful organization called Coaches Honor, where he works to uh, to bring the gospel to coaches. Uh, in the hopes that they will then have a positive influence on the the kids and students under their uh, their care, and is finishing seminary and raising a couple of kids and all that. So uh, Jeff's got a lot uh, on his plate, but we are uh, tremendously honored, Jeff, to have you with us and to have you uh, preaching to us today. Mm -hmm. And so if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Our reading today is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord... O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord, it is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love.
1: Good morning, and thank you. Um, Thank you so much for the privilege it is, the honor it is to be here And, uh, you know, this church has been a blessing to my wife and I um, and our family. And it almost seems like when we walk through those doors, Jesus is here waiting on us to experience him. And it really is a privilege to be with you to bring God's word to you this morning. So before I do that, can I just pray for us and then we'll get started. That's right. Amen. Let's pray. God, remove any folly in my lips and replace them with your words because it is you who we need to hear from. Only your words, God. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts even now, that you would soften our hearts, that you would, um, Lord, bring our hearts to a place where we just treasure you, Jesus, a little bit more this morning, that we love you a little more this morning, that we welcome you. God, you're here in our midst, and for that we are so thankful. So God, speak to us through your word. We give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, at our previous church up in Virginia, whenever anyone got up to, to preach, they couldn't avoid this massive engraved emblem, like a, like a metal plate at the top of the pulpit. And it was almost like it was bolted in to the pulpit. And it read a, a phrase, a verse from John, John 21, 12, John 12, 21, I gotta get it right. And it says, "It says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And I think they put it up there because they knew that if anyone like me got up there and just completely messed things up, they knew full well that there is one redeeming quality in any sermon, and that's if, if Jesus, the Redeemer, is at the center of it. Amen. As long as we are brought face to face with him, with, the, with our Redeemer, with our Rescuer, with the living God, then there's a sense in which all will be well. There's a sense in which when we see him, the clarity comes to our hearts and to our minds. And that's why we're here today, this morning, isn't it? It's because he's at the center of the universe and he holds it, he even holds it in his hand. And he's actually here in our midst today. And he wants to speak to us and he wants to show himself to us to make himself known. And he's the one to whom this entire story points. Isn't that right? He's the one, the only one that's worthy of our worship. He's the name above all names, is he not? He's also the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn over all creation, He's the first and the last. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting One, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Word made flesh, the Son of David, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the light of the world. He's Yahweh. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the chief cornerstone, the lover of our souls, our only hope in this life and the next. And I'm going to keep going. (laughs) He's the name above all names, our all-sufficient Savior, the wellspring of all wisdom. He's our sustainer, our friend, our redeemer, and he's our rescuer. We cannot walk out of these doors this morning and miss him. We long to see our great rescuer, Jesus. And you know what? The Israelites had a similar longing in their hearts. You know, in the series, we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, which are a group of 15 songs, Psalm 120 to 134, that the Israelites actually sang as they made their journey to Jerusalem, to the temple. They're now out of exile and they're, they're walking their way, they're making their journey to Jerusalem. The temple. Now, people traveled to Jerusalem for all kinds of things. I mean, it was the, it was the city to be. It was a place to be. They had a brand new NFL franchise. I mean, not better than the Jags, not better than the Jags. They had a Mellow mushroom. They had McDonald's. They had Uber. They had, you name it. I'm just kidding, of course. But it was the place to be. It was the place of commerce, the place of jobs, the place of economy, the place where you go to see your family. It was the place. And yes, the Israelites were there for one reason— and that is to make it to the temple for two for two reasons and that is to become face to face with the living god and also they had a longing in their hearts because they knew their sin before them they knew their sin before them and they longed to make a sacrifice that would cleanse them from their sins and that's why they were headed there so if the goal of the series in Psalm 130 is to find out more what it looks like to seek and to follow god from the Israelites and their songs, then we need to break down this Psalm 130 that was just beautifully read to you. Break it down into three parts. The first part, for point one, we need to be rescued. Point two, we have a great rescuer. And point three is this, let's go then, be rescuers. So point one, we need to be rescued. Look at verse one and two with me, what does it say? It says, "'Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord.'" O oh Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy clearly the psalmist is in a pit of despair uh, uh, not a physical literal pit but a spiritual one he this word this hebrew word for depths means raging sea or chaos it's the chaos that comes from the weight of our own sin in our lives so how did he get in this pit How's he there? How is he experiencing this chaos? It's the guilt that he feels from his own sin. But you know, guilt actually can be a great thing as it reveals to us uh, this sting, right? The sting on our hearts and showing us our own sin and then can move us to confession, repentance, and seeking God in that way. But what happens when guilt compounds? When it builds and it builds and it builds, and we go for a while without any repentance at all, then we find ourselves covered in it. And we get to the place where we, we become completely overwhelmed, and then we find ourselves in something much worse than guilt, and that's a thing called shame. Yes. You see, guilt, guilt we hold for a brief moment, but shame we wear like clothes. Guilt says, yeah, you messed up this time. But shame says, you're not worth anything. Guilt shows you your record of sins, your record of wrongs, and it points you to the forgiveness that God can have. But shame shows you your record of wrongs and it defines you by them. The nature of shame is to forget our true identity. And our true identity is how God sees us. Shame, honestly, guys, feels like living in a pit. Completely removed from how God sees us and who we truly are. You know, when, um, after our, um, we had our first child, uh, it was Mother's Day rolls around and we all wake up in the morning and <clears throat> I completely messed up because I forgot to get a card, flowers, balloons from my daughter, five months old, to my wife, her mom. And I guess this whole concept of me writing a card on behalf of my five-month-old to her mom just like hadn't sunk in my 25-year-old tiny brain just yet. But bottom line is, I really messed up. And I really hurt my wife. And what did I do in response? I did what any man does. I tried to fix the problem. So I bolted in the car to Target and I grabbed any card I could find and I rip it off the shelf and I I grabbed balloons and I grabbed flowers and I grabbed paint so I could cover my daughter's hand in paint and and (laughs) stick it on a bunch of things so it looks like I've been planning this for months. And we ended up celebrating that day. But the sweetest part that I'll never forget is the grace and forgiveness from my wife, Caroline. Amen. You see, as I'm scrambling in my car to Target, there's, I'm in the pit of shame. I'm it. And, and, and all I can hear is the voice that tells, that tells me, you're not enough. You are unqualified to be a father and a husband. Jeff, you should, I mean, I don't know what I, I was just, I need to run away. That's the only thing I thought, I just wanted to run away. But I was scrambling. I was experiencing that chaos, the raging sea, because the seas were getting more and more ferocious in my own heart. There was a restlessness in my heart. But the sweetest part of all was that forgiveness that came, that forgiveness that I needed so badly. Another way to look at this is imagine with me if there was an undeletable permanent iPhone app that recorded our thoughts about other people throughout the entire day. I know, I know, I know. And then and then at 9 p.m. when you put your phone beside you, it just would replay all your thoughts about other people. Okay? And I don't know about you, that's, I'm terrified. I don't, I don't even wanna share that, that's scary. That's just scary. So, that's just wrong. Thank God that it's not true. But. The point is, the point is, is that if we had anyone else live inside our heads for a week, we would know that we are messed up and I need a savior. I need a rescuer. Amen. So before we get to that, we're in this pit together, aren't we? We know we need to be rescued, but how do we often go about rescuing ourselves? How do we often do this? You know what I think most of us do? We just demand a little bit of relief. We just demand a little bit of relief. We rationalize it away. We're no, we know we're guilty, but we immediately blunt the edge of our confession by pointing out all the faults of those around us. Or we relativize it. We, everyone is doing the same thing. I'm not that bad. Or we deny it. We simply refuse to admit its existence. And we try and push down the pain through our own addictions. You see, we remain in the pit when our demand for relief is louder than our cry for a changed heart. Let me say that one more time because I need that from my own heart this morning. We stay in the pit when our demand for relief is louder than our cry for a changed heart. You see, we can seek a few ways to get relief for a moment, but there is only one who will bring rescue the rescue that our hearts need the most. And the psalmist doesn't go the way of shame. He goes the way of taking his guilt to God and seeking forgiveness. That is the way out. He says, let's read it. Listen. Listen to my cry for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. And then later in verse seven, and with you is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. Amen. So if we know we need to be rescued, that's point one. Point two, we learn that we have a great rescuer. Look at, um, how do we know this is true? Look at, look at verse three with me. If you kept the record of sins, if you kept the record of sins, who could stand? It doesn't say since you keep a record of my sins, then there's no way I can stand. That's not what it says. It says, if you kept. Here's the hope the hope is if you kept. You see, friends, if you believe in Jesus this morning, I want you to know that there is only one record that God keeps, and that's the record of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. That's what gets us out of the pit. Shame says, "Look at your own, look at your record of sins. You are that. You are them." But God comes us to us in Jesus, and he says, "I am not a record-keeping God. I give you the perfect record of my son Jesus." You know, the Israelites brought sacrifices to the temple because they had a similar longing in their hearts. They wanted to be redeemed, to be forgiven of their sins. But they knew that the lamb that they brought only pointed to a greater lamb, the greater sacrifice that is to come. And that's the lamb that, that John the Baptist himself, John one twenty one, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who comes away to take away the sins of the world. He called it. He said, this is the one, he identified him, the one. Don't get me wrong, God knows our sins. He does. You know, grace isn't cheap, though sometimes we make it out to be. But he doesn't pin them on us. If we have our faith in him, he doesn't pin them on us. He he nailed them to his son, Jesus Christ. He nailed them to his son, and Jesus couldn't stand. He couldn't stand. Jesus took on our record on the cross, which reads, condemn sinner, in order to give us his record, which, which reads the righteous one. How else do we know? How else do we know that we have a great rescuer? Look at verse seven with me. It says, with you is full redemption. Mm. This shows us that God is a God of redemption. He wants to take the broken pieces of our life and to make a beautiful mosaic that that speaks to his glory, his majesty, his redemption over us, his redeeming power. He wants the glory. He deserves the glory for that. And he longs to see redemption happen in our lives. He longs to move us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, all over the news, a group of, you, you probably heard it, a group of 12 uh, young teenagers uh, in Thailand um, lived and were trapped in this cave for over two weeks. I think it was like 21 days in complete darkness. And as much as they might have clawed or, or pried or, or yelled their way out, um, the, the, the entrance was completely sealed. They couldn't get out. It was impossible, So the impossibility of them getting out in any way was just looming all the more as they lived in complete darkness. Then it took a team of professional scuba divers and amongst other people who knew the network of the caves for them to dive in three miles and miles away from where they were in these tiny little canals about a shoulder width wide to swim up to where these kids were to bring them food and to teach them how to swim and then for the kids to follow them back, to bring them oxygen tanks, and for the kids to follow them back to rescue every single one of them. And they did this voluntarily. They did this completely risking their own lives. And I don't know about you, but there's only one thing that can motivate that, and that is love. That is love. That is a love that's a redeeming love that longs to take someone that they know full well is in darkness and to bring them out into the light, to bring them out of the light, to let them see what they see, to experience the sunlight on their face so they know they haven't experienced in in weeks. And look, it's a love of God that motivates him. Look at verse seven with me. It says, with you is unfailing love. This unfailing love is the Hebrew word hesed, which means covenant loyalty. Covenant loyalty, starting back with the promise of Abraham, going all the way back to the, to the beginning where he promised him that he, would be, that he would be perfectly loyal to his covenant with his people, with the Israelites. And that's what the Israelites were banking on. It's the perfect loyalty of God for my disloyal heart. Do you see Jesus voluntarily committing to this covenant, right, by going into the worst pit of all? The worst pit of all is the pit of hell on our behalf. Why? So that we don't just not go to hell. We experience the only antidote, the only answer to shame, which is his presence. It is his presence which starts now by faith and carries with us through eternity. It's his presence. It's this daily presence in our life, this Hesed covenant, I'm loyal to you presence in our lives that heals our shame. It's this unfailing love which says to us, you are mine, you are mine. There is nothing that you can do to separate my love from you. Your name is written on the palm of my hand. My thoughts for you are precious and they outnumber the grains of sand. What? What? Have you ever gone to the beach and just held out a a handful of sand? Just imagine that with me. My thoughts for you are precious and they outnumber the grains of sand. Shame says not a chance. Jesus says absolutely. It's true. So, We have a beautiful Savior who comes to us and he says to me, Jeff, you are so sinful that I had to rescue you. But it's true. But you are so loved that I was glad to rescue you. He's glad to have us, he cannot wait to spend time with us. So, what is that thing? that you love more than him? What is that thing that is pulling you down into the pit on a daily basis? And I want you to ask it this question. Do you love me back? Will you be perfectly loyal to me to the end? Will you never fail me? And I want you to think about that because there's one love that remains perfectly loyal and that's the love of Jesus. Jesus. While that soccer team was down there, there was another thing that they were doing a lot of, and that is waiting. They waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. They waited. They longed to be rescued. They longed for full redemption to happen, to come. You know, the psalmist feels just that in verse four and five. What does he say? Let's read it. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, they knew, the Israelites knew that they lived in a time where they felt the temporary incompleteness of their own sacrifices. Sacrifices that, that they knew pointed to a greater one, that, that this is how they had to be in relationship with God in order for their sins to be, to be cleansed. That's what they longed for. That's what we long for. So that's the time in which they were in. You see, we live in a time where, where yes, the lamb has come. He has come. And he has brought forgiveness and he has brought redemption. But we still live in an age of that's already happened, but not yet a full redemption. We long for that. We long for that. So Jesus has defeated sin and death, but, but the world is not as it should be. I mean, look around us. You feel it every day. The world is not as it should be. Yes, God has redeemed the world, but sin's curse still remains. The grip of sin is still on this earth. And as a pastor once said, which I love, is yes, the enemy is dead, but he's still deadly. So we have to be on watch as we wait and we long. See, we, we look back and we celebrate what Jesus has done, but we also wait and we long for Jesus to come back and to make everything right. We stay homesick for heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven and from it we eagerly await our Savior, Jesus Christ, not to make all new things, but to make all things new. You, he is a God of redemption. And I promise you, He promises us that redemption will come. So, we need to be rescued too, we have a great rescuer. Now, point three, let's go be rescuers. That's how the psalmist ends Psalm 130 here, look at it with me in verse seven. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. So he's just, he, just, he has just written about how he himself has experienced that, that redeeming, rescuing power in his own life and now he's bringing it to his own people. He's bringing it to his own people Now, I wanna pause for a moment because point three sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Let's go be rescuers. Uh, What does that look like? Well, we tend to honestly um, make ourselves out to be heroes, right? as if we're the one that's gonna rescue everything and fix the world's problems and and solve every issue there is and just defeat darkness. We're gonna be the ones that that does it when God is simply asking us to be faithful over what he's given us, to be faithful over what he's given us. Um, A great uh, mentor of mine said said it like this. He said, we are called to just tear off a corner of the darkness and leave defeating all the darkness to the one who actually can, the one who's qualified to do so, and that is the living God. Listen to the simplicity of this call in verse seven. All he did was open to his mouth and say, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. God invites him. God invites us daily to join him in his work of redemption, but he wants us to leave all the heavy lifting up to him. You know, my, my daughter Ruthie loves, she's three years old and she loves to help me take out the trash. I don't know why. She's like, me and daddy, let's rock it, okay? So so here's what this looks like, all right? So I um, push all the trash down in the bag and I cinch the knot tight and then I pick her up in my arm and I like pull up the trash, you know, slowly but surely until it releases out of the can and then we walk out the door and I'm holding her in my hand and then I kind of open the door maybe with like a foot or like my hand and then we walk out to the trash can, and I put her down, and <clears throat> open the can, and and here's where she comes in. She just puts her hand for a half a second on the side of the, tra- side of the trash bag, and just does this. That's it. That was her part. Literally, and smiling ear to ear, so excited as if she's doing it all. She just... Loving every minute of it. And isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that that's what God calls us to? Leave the heavy lifting up to him. He's shown us he's already done most of the heavy lifting by what Jesus has already done for us. He's, he is asking us to play a small part in this work of redemption by being faithful over what he has in front of you. And that, in one small way, is through our relationships. So for you adults, what does this look like? Um, hey, you wanna come over for dinner? Um, I can make some mean barbecue chicken, you know? Hey, the Jags are playing at three, you wanna come watch it? Hey, I'm going to Target, do you you wanna come with? Hey, I'm going to get my nails done, you wanna join in? Um, It's as small as that for you teenagers. My mom just made a big Costco run and got some Doritos, you want some? (laughs) Of course, who would turn down Doritos? Doritos are amazing. Cool ranch, you got, no, i just kidding. okay. So, <laughs> but you get the point, you get the point because here's, here's the deal. <clears throat> there is so much power in friendships without any agendas attached or strings attached to them. Friendship that just says, I'm for you. I'm called by God to be a neighbor and I wanna to get to know you. I wanna to get to know what, all, what you're all about. To be faithful over Who he's put in front of us. Then maybe one day, maybe one day, we're sitting over some barbecue chicken or some Doritos. They'll look at you and ask you why. Why? Why do you why do you serve like that? Why do you love like that? Why do you care so much about my life? It makes no sense. Then you can, in your own words, respond what the end of this psalm says, which is, with my God is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He will redeem all of your sins. So put your faith in him, put your hope in him and you can say, I can't really describe it, but I have tasted the rescue of grace And it just so happens that it changes everything. So we need to be rescued, yes. We have a great rescuer, yes. Now we are freed to go be rescuers. Amen? Amen. Amen. let's pray. Jesus, we came here to see you to savor you, and we have. But we wish to see more of you in our lives, in our lives first, and then may it spill out into the way that we love around us, that we may testify to the rescue of grace because your grace truly has come into our lives and has rescued us. So we look to you daily for this, and I pray for my friends this week. I pray, God, that we would bring this deeper into the corners of our hearts that we may know you, treasure you, Jesus, and share your amazing love. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.